Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Buy a Business Near Me, brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, helping business brokers sell more local businesses. Now, here's your host. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Buy a Business Near Me. Stone Payton here with you. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast with Sigma Mergers and Acquisitions, Mr. Jeremy Furtick. How are you, sir? I'm good, Stone. I appreciate it. Well, we're delighted to have you on the show, man. One of the questions that has been burning in my mind, and now I am going to ask it, how do you identify a good business intermediary versus a bad, uh, w- what am I looking for? Uh, it's, it's a great question. And, and I think it's something that, that individuals looking to buy a business uh, really need to, to pay attention to. But there's just a couple of key things. When, when a buyer is looking for a business is, you know, number one, uh, when you're talking to a, a business broker or a business intermediary, you know, you need to make sure that that, that individual you know, understands the motivations of their client because there's nothing more frustrating than getting to a point in a process where a seller just decides they don't want to sell anymore. And and that's incredibly frustrating and costly uh, for a a person looking to buy a business. And if if a broker doesn't qualify his clients um, properly on the front end, then you you could potentially run into a situation like that. Um, Not only, you know, qualified to sell, but also motivated to sell, has the right motivations. Those are important to understand. Uh, it's also critical, in my opinion, that the business broker you're working with actually has a process that they follow. Um, you should be able to get on the, a first phone call with a business broker or a business intermediary and say, okay, explain to me where we go from here. And they ought to be able to lay out step-by-step uh, a process from this point all the way through to closing and even post-closing about, you know, here's what you can expect as a buyer to get from our office and from our clients. Um, if they don't have that process, then you can expect that this is probably, you know, potentially going to be a, a challenging uh, endeavor to go through because if they're not running, uh, steering the ship, so to speak, then who is? Uh, and, and that's just going to be frustrating for you and frustrating for, for their client as well. Um, and, and I really think the last thing, if you want to just talk about three key points is you want to find a broker that is understands their role. Uh, their role is to be a filter, not necessarily a blockade. Uh, our, our role <laughs> is not to inhibit, inhibit a buyer's access to a seller. It's to make sure that, because we all know everybody wakes up on the wrong side of the bed every now and then. And in the midst of a business transaction like this, uh, some things could be said from one party to another that may derail a deal uh, just because somebody's had a bad day. It has nothing to do with the business, nothing to do with the deal, nothing to do with the individuals involved in the deal, but you can say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, and that could, uh, you know, potentially cause a deal to fall apart. Well, when those things get said to me as an intermediary, well, I filter what gets back and make sure that just the important aspects that are deal related get translated or, or communicated to each party as opposed to the emotion and so that's a, a an important role. You never want a broker or an intermediary that just you know sends you information via email and says, "Hey, here's the seller's phone number. Call them." 
and, and y'all work out the deal and just tell me where closing is and, and I'll be there to collect my commission. That doesn't work. And, and if you run into somebody like that, then, then you can almost be assured that the process is just not going to work for you. What is a quality broker looking for in me, the the buyer? What qualities are they looking for? Well, again, a great question because it is a two-way street, just like all the things we just talked about that are important for a buyer to understand uh, about a broker that they're potentially working through. The broker is also, you know, in our case, we're talking to between 85 and 100 buyers on every one of our listings. Well, eventually one person is going to buy it. Uh, so there's going to be 84 to 99 that, that don't. And a lot of those are people that we weed out. So it's important to understand what a broker is looking for and what's going to make you stand out because it is a competition. It's, it's very rare that you're the only buyer on a deal. And if you are, you know, you might be a little worried about that. But uh, number one is know where your money's coming from. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and say, hey, just out of curiosity, explain to me how you're going to uh, fund or finance this deal. And when I hear the answer, oh, I'll get a loan, that's an immediate checkout for me. I just know that that this person hasn't done the things that they need to do to get prepared to, to, to make a deal happen. So know where you're getting your money, have that lined up uh, before you start your business search, uh, not only before you inquire about a business, but before you even really start looking at, at any businesses, know where you're getting your money. Um, I think uh, another important aspect is when you're interacting with a with the business broker. I mean, we all know the, you know, when you're talking about families, people who have kids, people love to talk about their kids. Parents love to talk about their kids. And it kind of wears you out on the other end of that uh, because we're, we get tired of hearing about your kid. <laughs> business owners are the same way. They love talking about their businesses. They're so proud of what they've done. They've got so much pride in it and so much ego wrapped into that, that you need to be conscientious of as a buyer of, you know, make sure you let the, the seller talk about their business. Don't tell. We always talk about this is uh, one of two things as a buyer, ask, don't tell. Uh, make sure you're asking questions, that you're inquisitive, that you're generally interested in the business because the seller loves to talk about their business. Uh, don't tell them all the things about you. Uh, don't tell them all the things that you think about their business necessarily, but also be impressed with their business um, because buyers love to hear, or excuse me, sellers love to hear all the great things about their, their companies. And, and if you can come across as being impressed with their business and very complimentary of their business, well, that just goes a long way with when they're looking at four different offers on the table and, and they get to yours and they get a warm fuzzy when they think about you because you know you could not stop saying enough great things about their company. That can be the difference between getting a deal and not getting a deal. So what is your backstory, man? How did you get into this lot of work? Actually, it's it's interesting because I, I certainly never thought I would be in it. Um, I used to sell radio advertising of all things, huh. and uh, but but the the station I was at, as opposed to the typical radio where you think of where ad agencies buy a lot of airtime and they're buying points. If you're familiar with that uh, in the industry, uh, I was on a news talk station, and so we did a lot of what we call direct selling. So it was literally going in, sitting down with a business owner identifying what their needs, objectives, budgets, all those things were, and then coming up with a creative solution on how our station could reach our listeners 
uh, with in an effective way that's going to get their phone to ring. And when I came over and, and started working uh, here at Sigma uh, back in, gosh, it was 2006, um, I was shocked at how much the skill set translated. It's the same thing. We sit down with business owners, same people, but now we're talking to them about a different set of objectives and motivations and goals. Um, this time it's to exit their business, uh, not necessarily to, uh, you know, to, to grow their business. And so it's, it really worked well, uh, that, that experience translated very well. And so it's just been a, a natural transition and, and I've enjoyed, you know, pretty much every minute of it since then. Well, and, and this work is far more, I'm learning by hosting this series, actually far more grounded in, in relationships than I ever anticipated. I, I kind of viewed it as, as much more transactional and there's certainly that, that aspect to it. But man, when it, when it comes down to it, I mean, this is a relationship business, isn't it? It is. And, and use the term transactional, uh, which is ironic because we use that term daily, that this is not a transactional uh, business. Uh, this is not a transactional process. Mm-hmm. There are transactional aspects to it, of course. Uh, there's very, uh, in this whole process, there's a lot of black and white. There's a lot of, you know, the numbers are what they are and you're evaluating financials and, and et cetera. But it really does come down to the old adage of people want to do business with people they like and trust. Uh, I, I don't think it can be any more true in any other industry, more so than it is in our industry, where not only do sellers want to work with intermediaries that they like and trust, I want to work with sellers that I like, trust, and respect. Uh, and same thing goes for buyers. I want to work with buyers that I feel like, you know, you, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your client, but you also end up having a, uh, you know, these people become my friends. You work with them for so long and, and you want to see them be able to hand the keys off to the uh, to the machine that they've built and right off into the sunset and be thrilled with those results. And most sellers have a lot of pride in who's taking over my business and is going to continue the the brand and the legacy and the name and the reputation that I built. And those things are important. And so relationship is a, a massive piece of that. So, I mean, clearly you're finding the work incredibly rewarding. What are you enjoying the most, man? What's the most fun about it? I think what's personally what the most fun is, is the, there's no day that's the same. And we have a, a process, of course, that we follow, whether it's working with sellers, whether it's working with buyers, marketing businesses, there are certain steps that we follow 100% of the time. So you think, okay, well, that's repetitive and, and can get stale. But the fact is, is that you're dealing in every one of those deals, even though it's the same basic process, uh, it's different personalities, it's different size businesses, different types of buyers, different industries, of course. And every deal, even though, again, we're running the same process, no two deals are alike. Every deal is unique. And so it keeps it fresh on a daily basis. There is a, you know, there's certain parts of it I like more than others, uh, but I think that the biggest uh, kick that I get out of it and, and the most enjoyment I get out of it is really when you can see a seller start to believe that what they've been working for for sometimes 50 years is coming to fruition. And and that's an exciting time. And on the same token, you look at the other side of that coin, a buyer is almost equally as giddy because they're getting into something that has been an objective of theirs for however many years that they've been dreaming about, you know, controlling their own destiny and, and, and owning a business. So 
you know, I liken it a lot to, you know, think about a, a football field. Every football field's got the same sidelines, and that's our process. But every game and every play that's run within those sidelines is unique, and you very rarely have any repetition. So that's that's really what keeps it fun. What a great analogy. So, so how does the whole sales and marketing thing work for you? How do you get the new clients? Well, at this point in, in our life cycle as a business, it's really less about our outbound marketing and more about uh, referrals. Mm. Uh, and I'm talking about seller, sell side clients. Um, we've been around for so long. Uh, you know, this office has been here since the mid 80s. And, and I've been here since uh, 06. Uh, I'm to a point now where I've actually sold the same business three times uh, in <laughs> one case uh, because it's and those were buyers that came back to us after they bought a business from us. They came back to us and said, mm. hey, we liked, you know, what you did for your client back then. We want you to do it for us. Uh, so referrals are a big part of it. Uh, you know, the way we market to buyers. Um, so there's really two sides of this business. Of course, there's there's buyers and sellers. You have to have both to have a deal. And 75 or so percent of the time we're representing the seller as opposed to the buyer. But the way we market to buyers is is we've really spent a lot of time and money building our, our database of buyers mm. uh, so that every time we get a new listing, you know, we're marketing to them. We know the size business, the industry, the geography, the, the cash flow that they need. We have all that data about our, our buyer clientele. And so we may have 6,000 people in our database. And when we launch a new business, there may be 750 buyers that fit that criteria of that new listing we're launching. And you know, we give them, we call it a sneak peek or a, a preview of the business before we take it out you know, on the open market. Uh, and generally speaking, over the last decade or so, we've sold about two thirds of our listings to people that are already in our database. Let's talk about timeline a minute, especially on the seller's side. If I'm looking and planning an exit, I mean, this is not something that I decide to do today and, and try to get done in a, in a couple of months. Is I got to get my ducks in a row for this thing, right? So what, like, when should somebody be reaching out to you to start organizing all that? I think if you can force yourself as a business owner to, to get with us before you even thought about selling, that's ideal because then we can start helping you lay the groundwork for the things that you've got to do to make the process easier when you do decide to do it. Hmm. But most of the time people have started thinking about selling and they've talked to a couple of buddies on the golf course. So they've talked to a couple of people that they, their neighbors that they know have been in business and sold a business or bought a business. And so by the time they get to us, they may have been thinking about it for six months to a year, uh, but not really having done anything. They've just, kind of started taking those mental steps, which is a huge part of it. Again, getting back to the idea that, that these businesses are so important to these business owners. Uh, a lot of the times they're things that they've been working on for decades or they've taken over family legacy businesses or whatever the case may be. They're important. So the mental aspect is a huge, huge part of it. Uh, just if not more important than the financial aspect. But by the time they come to us, uh, we do a business valuation, a market valuation on the business, and we're able to sit down with those potential clients and say, you know, here are the things that here's what the business is worth today. If you went to market, what you could expect. Uh, and if that doesn't work for you financially, well, here are the things you can do to uh, increase the value. And of course, number one is get more revenue. 
well, that's if that was that simple, then you know, everybody <laughs> would be getting the number they want. But a lot of times it's more about the, the intangible things. It's about making the business more marketable to a buyer where mm-hmm. when a buyer's looking at three or four different deals, yours stands out because it's it's just a more attractive business, not just because of the numbers, but because it looks like it's a business that is replicatable, that it's, uh, you know, all the things that are intangibly valuable about it are things that they can't create uh, overnight. So, you know, when a a seller comes to us and wants to start talking about that, uh, it's rare that uh, after the first meeting or valuation that we do, that they're ready to pull the trigger. I'd say probably about a quarter of the time. The rest of the time, they either realize that uh, they're just not anywhere near ready, or maybe they just need another six months, another year to kind of clean some things up, whether it's in their books or in their operation, uh, whatever the case may be, whatever consultation we've given them. Um, the majority of, of sellers will come back to us then and say, okay, I've done it here. Check this out. Does this work now? And you know, a lot of times the answer is yes. And, and that's when we move forward. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, to answer your original question, I would say that that most buyer or most sellers start thinking about the process of selling their business a good year to two years before they actually uh, move forward with it. And it's usually within six months to a year of, of first reaching out to an intermediary. All right. So going back to the buyer side, as much experience as you've had, as many deals as you've helped broker, have you identified, have you landed on like the ideal business? The ideal business? Yeah, the ideal business for a buyer to go after, like, <clears throat> I don't know, like my uncle at Thanksgiving is probably going to say laundromats or something. I don't know. Like, is there that perfect business out there? There isn't. There, there is absolutely <laughs> no perfect business. Uh, there's only the business that, that makes the most sense to you individually as a buyer. Uh, and so there's obviously businesses that are more attractive to a larger number of people. They have a, a broader appeal, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're they're the right, right business for everyone. So that's, you know, that's the trick is, is part of that going back to what we talked about, uh, about good buyers is, you know, I, I tell people all the time, know your story, know what you want to accomplish, know what you're looking for, know what the, uh, the key things are. I mean, every business is going to have a hundred different data points, Well, there's going to be, you know, five or 10 that are critical to you and the other ones really don't matter. And those are going to be different for every buyer. So really know what you're looking for, uh, not just financially, but operationally, just as important. Uh, and so when it comes to a, a perfect business, you know, we tell people all the time that there's hair on every dog and, and that doesn't make it a bad business. That just you need to understand when you begin your search that nothing is going to check every box. Uh, and if it does, then uh, then jump on it quick. <laughs> And, and what about deal structure? Because there's a lot of different ways to, to to skin this cat, right? It's not always just here's a check, here's your keys. There, there's a lot of different ways to to put this thing together, isn't there? Uh, absolutely, and of course, you know the SBA financing is a, is a huge uh, tool that a lot of people utilize, and, and SBA gets a, a bad rap a lot of times because. Uh, people have all heard horror stories about what a, a tedious and difficult process it is. And it is. There's no two ways about it. I mean, you're dealing with a government entity. And so there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of checking and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, when you can buy a, a business for 10% down, um, that in itself is a, a pretty ridiculous uh, arrangement to be able to do that. You're not going to get that deal directly from the seller. 
So you know, when it comes to deal structure, we see a lot of SBA financing. And, and the max loan amount uh, is $5 million. So you can get a, a business that's got a significant EBITDA uh, figure uh, and still qualify for an SBA loan. So it's a great tool. But of course, seller financing is a big deal. A lot of buyers don't need seller financing. They just like to have it because they like the idea of the seller having some skin in the game long term. And, you know, that's something that getting back to what makes a, a good business broker, well, we have those conversations pretty much day one with our clients of, you know, are you willing to sell or finance? And if the answer is no, then we make sure that that's in our marketing, that buyers know that don't even bring it up because the answer is no. Uh, but if it is, then we, we try to give buyers some, some guidelines as to, to what they can expect or, or potentially offer. But, you know, when it comes to seller financing, uh, as a buyer, if you're asking for that, a key thing to keep in mind is put yourself in the seller's shoes. Uh, number one, why would they do it? Um, if, if it's necessary because their business isn't financeable through a traditional means, well, that's that's the, the main reason that you'll see seller financing. Uh, but understand that you're asking the seller to be the bank. And so the seller may want to go through a similar process to what the bank would to approve you. Uh, they want to understand your credit worthiness. They want to understand your other sources of income. They want to understand you know, your background and how it applies to this business. So it becomes more of that. We talked earlier about that you know, warm fuzzy that a buyer wants to give a, a seller about taking over their business. But when you add seller financing to the mix, you've added a whole other level of actual analysis, not just the, the feel good, but the seller's got to feel confident that they're going to get their money. Uh, from this this buyer taking over their business. So I came across a term in a previous interview, LOI. I'm uh, operating under the impression that is for letter of intent. First of all, is that accurate? And where does that come into play? And, you know, is there is there something that we should make sure that we include, not include the way that we frame a, an LOI? As, yeah. Speak to that if you would. Okay. Yeah. So LOI, absolutely. It's a, it's a letter of intent. And when I explain to people what an LOI is and how it should be used, I describe it as a roadmap for closing because that's all it is. It's a non-binding agreement that lays out the basic terms that you're proposing to the seller of, of here, here's what I want to do. Here's the, the, the price, the, the structure, other aspects that may be important to them. And the seller then is agreeing to those. So it's not a binding agreement. You get to that that's the purchase agreement down the road, uh, the asset purchase agreement or the stock purchase agreement, depending on the structure of the deal. But the LOI lays it all out. And basically what the buyer is saying in that LOI is this, I'm showing you what I'm going to do, what I'm willing to do. If you're agreeable to it, then I need to do my due diligence on your business. And as long as all of that checks out, then I'm going to be ready to close under these terms. And so what's important about an LOI is because it's a non-binding agreement, is not to get overly detailed. I mean, this should be a one to two page document, in my opinion. All the legalese and reps and warranties and all of those things that, that are binding need to be in the purchase agreement, not in the LOI. So, uh, you know, an LOI, the, in my opinion, the things that really need to be in there are, of course, the purchase price and the terms, uh, but a timeline. That's really key as well, because the seller's got to feel confident that they're not just indefinitely tied up until a buyer decides they either want to buy it or don't. So, you know, put a timeline in there where you're going to complete your due diligence, put a, t a deadline in there where you have to deliver the draft purchase agreement 
and then of course put a, a deadline in there for closing. And, and, and there'll be language in there that says that it can be extended if both parties agree, of course. Uh, and the idea though, is just, just to make a seller feel good that, okay, you're not, you know, I'm going to give you 30 days to do due diligence, for example. And if, if you haven't completed it by then, uh, then it's up to me if I want to extend it or not, uh, the, the timeline. So that's, that's key there. But as far as your other part of the question about the timing of it, um, one mistake a lot of buyers make is they think the LOI is what's going to impress the seller. And they may send me an LOI before they've even had a conversation on the phone with the seller. And, you know, I always send it right back and say, hey, I'll present this if you want. But the answer is going to be no, because they don't even know you. And so we need to do some things, some parts of this process uh, to get the seller comfortable with you before you present an offer. Because what that screams to me when somebody sends over an LOI that early is I really have no intention of buying the business based on the terms I'm presenting here. I'm just trying to get the business locked up so that I can evaluate it. And then I'm going to come back and say, uh, you know how I offered two and a half million dollars? Well, after looking at the financials, it's really closer to two what I can do. That doesn't work. I'd rather you spend the time and the effort evaluating the business, then make the LOI uh, proposal. Because then if it's two million on the front end uh, in the LOI, and as you know, using my last example, um, then if a seller takes it, that's great. But he's probably not likely to take 2.5 and then drop it to 2 million. Uh, he might be more likely to take 2 million, you know, uh, if that's the original offer, if that, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And I'm really glad that I asked. That is incredibly helpful. All right, man, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you if they'd like to, to have a more in-depth conversation with you or somebody on your team? Well, you can call me directly. My, my office line is is 214-442-6706. You can email me at jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at sigmamergers.com, or look me up on LinkedIn. Just uh, search Jeremy Furtick, and you can contact me through there. Well, Jeremy, it has been a real pleasure having you on the program, man. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, invitation. Well, it is my pleasure. All right, until next time, this is Stone Payton for our guest today, Jeremy Furtick with Sigma Mergers and Acquisitions, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you again on Buy a Business Near Me.